0: Well, it's good to see everybody. The fans are rolling. It's a nice day out. It's good to be here in the tent, and it's good to have you with us online as we continue our True North series. I I pray it's really been a blessing for you um, just to kind of think through priorities in in a season of life where uh, everything's kind of been different um, strange at times, um, the, the changes we're all going through, to go through a time like this and to get anchored on some of God's priorities. That, that's kind of been a desire. Now, many of you, have you've been tracking with our series uh, throughout the summer here, Under the Tent, we've kind of started out with an argument, okay? Like a battle, um, and, and it's it's centered on Pringles at times. Um, I'm still getting angry emails about uh, Reese's Pieces, candy bars being being the number one. And so I've tried to try to you know stir up a little conflict each week within the staff and within the tech team and things like this. And so the conflict this week. I wasn't coming up with it. It was coming slow to me. I started praying about what conflict I could get. No, that's not what I was doing. But um, I, I, I was—I got my inspiration last night, pulling in to Chick Fil <laughs> A, and, and, and as I pulled in, I ordered my meal, and, and they said, "Would you like a small fry or a large fry?" The correct answer is large fry, <laughs> and, and, and I got these fries. And then I went on to list my favorite Chick-fil-A sauces, right? So some of you like the Chick-fil-A sauce. Some of you like the barbecue sauce. Some of you the honey mustard sauce. You know, we all, we all have our sauces and I began to eat fries and it came to me, what are my top five fries? (laughs) And, and, And as I thought about it, I realized that I was holding number three. This was number three. Five to one, this was number three. And so I put out my list today, and I'll put it out for you. And this is the correct order, okay? I just want to let you all know. That, that, and, and, and I was thinking through fries. Now, I got a bunch of fast food fries up there. And, and, and oh, man, we got KFC potato wedges up here, dairy queen fries, you got Arby's fries, all good fries. But I, I've kind of encompassed my fry selection to, if you were to say, Chris, let's go get some fries, what I might say. So we're not just going on strict taste. Some of you are like just taste only. I'm going on. Yes, I would like some of those fries, and I would like to do that with you. It sounds good. Okay, so that's my my list. Feel free to fight with me, but you're wrong because it's my list, and I have the microphone. Okay, so so what what were my top five? Um, you gotta you gotta start. I gotta put these in because. Man, they're cheap, good, great, greasy, salty, and wonderful, right? Here's my five. McDonald's fries are just unbelievably good and available at any moment, okay? Uh, um, so, so I gotta put fries there. Okay, here's my four. Here's my four Chickies and Peach fries. Now, some of you might go, I don't know if I like Chickies and Peach fries, but I gotta argue there's more to it than taste. Whenever I have a Chickie Pizza in my hand, I feel good about that logo because it means I'm either at the shore with my family, fighting off seagulls, got my dip on the side and I'm going like this and I can never eat the whole thing so we share it, or I'm at a Phillies game. I'm down at Citizens Bank ballpark, and I'm getting my Chickies and Pete's, and I'm waiting to see how many runs we've given up in the ninth inning. You know, like, like that's, that's like, so when I think about Chickies and Pete's, I, I go, it's gotta be in my top five for overall experience. Now, now, now three is Chick-fil-A. But I, I raise this question. Are they great because they're good, or are they great because of the sauces? I'm not so sure. In fact, one of our sound guys goes, Chris, that is a great question we need to think about over lunch. The only problem is we can't go get them today. All right, now, now, uh, um, two two is five guys, all right? What I love about five guys, it's like a sermon illustration of God's abundance. I went out with a group of pastors. We got together, pastors in the community. We wanted to, wanted to talk about different things, encourage each other. We selected five guys, and, and there they were. We had the, the cup of five guys. They poured it, in and then they give you a bag because it just overflows like God's grace. <laughs> Told you, I prayed about this list. All right, now, now, you're like, he's reaching. But then the number one, and, and I, I, the, the battle rages in the staff because they disagree with me in some areas, but... They're wrong, and I cleared them up. Overall experience, let's go get some fries. I put as my number one, see, Mike and I said, I knew which one you were going with, because uh, I know you, Chris. If you know me, it, it's Red Robin, and, and, here's, and here's why. These aren't French fries, folks. They're bottomless fries. See, so you're already off to a good start, because when I hear bottomless, it means they just keep coming. And so our family, we like to sit down and go, could we have some fries out early? Because we know they're bottomless. Have you ever gone to a restaurant and you ordered something you didn't realize you were paying each time? Yeah, that ruins the whole day, doesn't it? But, but with Red Robin, I get this. And now, now you'd say, ah, I don't know, Chris, but, but then I take the seasoning and I put the seasoning, I shake it up and then I order honey mustard and campfire sauce. And I'll tell you what, I eat so many of those stupid fries that when the burger comes, I'm like, I'm not sure if I need to eat anymore. And so I was thinking, that's gotta be my overall experience. And, and there are some fries that deserve it. If you like a little bit of a gourmet fry, I suggest Grub Burger. If you like some cheese fries, don't sleep on Chero's over in Sellersville, okay? But, but when you think fries, that's my top five. Now... How do you make a top five? By the way, I did some research on this just for fun. There literally was a fry battle. And of fast food fries, you know what got number one and it wasn't close? It was McDonald's was two. And then there was a number one, it wasn't even close. And they put five guys. People voted five guys as like by far like the, like the winner. And then McDonald's, Burger King, Arby's, they all lived in that area. And, and, and I know you came to church today to hear Pastor Chris talk about fries. Isn't it funny how we can take our opinion and, and push it with such authority as if it's God's truth or something? Or, or, or even take our opinion on a subject like food and divide over somebody who disagrees with us? Isn't it amazing how we can take something like what our country's going through and, and divide? Do we not see the devil in that? When we know five years from now, some of us are gonna look really stupid in what we said. And some of us might look really smart. But I wanna look back in five years from now and say, I didn't waste that trial. I didn't waste that season of life. I didn't waste God refining me on basing it on things that cause conflict and division. I based it on the priorities of scripture. And so each week we've had a little fun with talking about things we stand so vehemently on that really aren't based on truth, but our perception of the situation. And so that's not why we came to church. We came to church to base our lives on the truth of scripture, and our series has been True North, focusing on that. Now, we've gotten our priorities from the inaugural sermon of Jesus Christ. (laughs) Scripture tells us in Matthew five, he saw the crowds, okay? He went up on the mountain, And when he sat down, his disciples came up to him and he opened his mouth and he taught them saying, And this summer, we've been walking through these beatitudes, these blessed are they, happy are they, kingdom kids look like this, the kingdom of man, this is how they behave, the kingdom of God, these are how his kids should behave. And Jesus gave us these priorities that I've been just like putting in my life going, God, help me center. And I can't believe how many times I've gone back to these when conflict has arisen in my life just over the past few months. God desires during in this time period, the big rocks. The most important things are what we call the big rocks. Humility, blessed are the poor in spirit. Humility is the primary goal, not my opinion. Trust, trust those who mourn, we looked at. Those who know that the Lord will deliver. They mourn that there is a lack of righteousness, but they trust to deliver. Blessed are those who have self-control. That's when we wanna do something, but we show that restraint. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who obey and desire to obey God's word during this season. You'll be refined as you do this. Compassion, blessed are the merciful. Last week, blessed are the pure in heart, those who seek inner purity. And this week, peacemaking. Yeah, peacemaking. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought to grow in your spiritual life in that area? Is this a subject you've ever heard a sermon preached on? Peacemaking, it's interesting. How, how, how can I gain more information? How can I gain more knowledge? I, I wanna look at peacemaking and, and grow this area of my life, uh, but I need to know more. Well, well, let's look at what Jesus says. He said, blessed, happy are those, blessed are the peacemakers, look at this, for they shall be called sons of God. Now, my father, back in the days when we were indoors, <laughs> Um, taught a Sunday school class on Sundays and somebody came up to him after his class a little bit newer to the church and they said wow Robin you really speak like Chris and my dad went hold up no Chris speaks like me I came first isn't that true we carry the characteristics of our parents I'll tell you what I worked with teen camps for, for years coming out of college and At the end of the week, the parents would come and pick the kids up and I didn't really have to work real hard to figure out who their parents were. Any teachers out there, when you have like an in-service or they come, you see the parent, you go, oh yeah, that's your mom and dad. I've even heard some parents actually go sit kind of where the kids sit in the room, okay, whether you're a back row family or a front row family, and, and, and kids carry those characteristics. Now, people who know our family very well know that I'm a lot more, my, my personality trends more with my mom, and my older sister trends more with my dad. But yeah, I carry my dad's characteristics, and there have been times in my life where people have said to me, ha, oh, you're just like your dad, okay? Leverage that into this verse. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. When you peacemake, when that's a priority in your life, people are going to tend to look at you, Jesus says, and go, hey, hey, you're like your dad. You're like your dad. You're like your heavenly father, the peacemaker. When I watch your life, I'm reminded of Jesus. Jesus. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. That's got to be a child of God. How do you know? Look at the peacemaking aspects to their life. And, and so I see this and I go, man, this is an area I want to grow God, refine me, get, get, grow me in this area. I want to be a peacemaker like my dad. Well, there's always a good time to quote Billy Graham. I like what he said. He said this, to be a peacemaker, you must know the peace giver. To be a peacemaker, you gotta know the peace giver. The better you know him, the more you're going to live out his attributes. So just real quick, I did a little research for you. You can just sit back and relax. Let's look at some verses that describe the peace of God. Here's a few. Here's a few. God the Father, okay, he promises peace. Psalm 85:8. 8. I will listen to what the Lord says. He promises peace. His faithful servants, but let them not turn to folly. God the Father, he guards with peace. Listen to this. And the peace of God which transcends understanding will guard your hearts. See, see God the Father, he blesses with peace. The Lord strength, gives strength to his people. He blesses them with peace. You know what God the Father does? He stabilizes with peace. You will keep him in perfect peace. Those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. You know what God the Father does? He's known by peace. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. Okay, I'm getting this feeling. Okay, okay, I gotta... He promises peace, he guards me with peace, he blesses me with peace, he stabilizes me with peace, he knows by peace, but not only that, God the Father sent his Son a manifestation of himself so we can know his Son. And look at what his Son said about peace. God the Son said, he offers peace. Peace I leave with you, I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled or be afraid. Jesus spoke peace, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you'll have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Jesus commanded peace, peace, be still. He yelled and the rain stopped. Some of you are familiar with our church. I've been here for years. I've heard me share the illustration that I messed with our kids when they were little. We were driving down the highway and the torrid rains were coming down on the car and I saw an overhang ahead, an overpass on the road. And I leveraged this moment to let my kids think I'm God. You ever do this, dads? Lowercase g. And as I got to the overpass, I yelled out, because you know the rains come and you go into the underpass, it just stops, and then the rains come again. So as we get to the overpass, we went out and peace be still, I yelled out before we went in. Okay, you can rain. Do that again. Do that again. All right, but not yet. Come on, Lord, I need another overpass. You have to stall for like two miles. Just wait, I'm feeling it. I gotta feel it. Then fine, peace be still. You did it when we won under that. Yes, yes, yes. But I had you for about three minutes. You thought dad was awesome. I mean, that was last week. The kids now, uh, no, that wasn't last week. My, my kids are a little over, but, but Jesus commanded peace. Wow. And Jesus brought peace. Romans 5, 1, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I have peace relationally. When I come to know Jesus Christ as our savior, I was once his enemy, but now I am seated at the table. Do you have people in your life right now that you can sit down with the table at? And do you have people in your life that if you see them in a grocery store, you go the other way? Jesus says, I've come to bring peace. I want you to have peace. And he showed us peace. But please, please, please do not mistake peacemaking for pacifism. Peacemaking is very active. In fact, I like this. It says, peacemaking is not pretending wrong things are right, okay? A peacemaker is not someone who goes, hey, let's just not talk about that. I know there's an issue here, but we're going to put that aside, okay? A peacemaker engages into the tension, engages the conflict, deals with it, for they desire not a false peace that the world gives, but a true peace that God gives. You know, the more I studied peacemaking, the more I realized it's not just external with other people, it's internal as well. For a lot of us have conflict and battles going in within our own hearts. And we have to make peace internally before we can do something externally. And we have to confront things in our own lives so that we can then go share it with others. And as I was processing through how we could find a parallel passage, a a parable to cast alongside, which what the word means, this truth about peacemaking so we could grow from it, I came across one of the more famous parables that many of you know, and and I think it serves as a great reminder of how careful we must be to not allow conflict inside us to derail us from becoming peacemakers. And so at the end of the sermon, what I'm going to do as far as application, I'm going to give you some characteristics of a peacemaker that you can walk out of here emulating But before I go to that spot, I think it's very smart for us to stop and go, what could prevent me from desiring to be a peacemaker? For the truth of the matter is, many would rather be a troublemaker than a peacemaker. Why is that? Well, I pray after today, you'll remember what the Lord's done for you and you'll walk out of here going, you know what? I wanna walk out of here and be like my dad, my heavenly father and I wanna be a peacemaker. And so our parable today is gonna be the unforgiving servant in Matthew 18, verses 21 through 35. We're gonna cast this parable alongside the blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Heavenly Father, use this text today to remind us, one, of who you are, to center us on what your priority of peacemaking is, and to keep us from harboring things that could prevent peace from being realized not only externally with our relationships, but internally in our hearts. Lord, encourage us to be like our dad. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, here, here it is. The sermon start, the, the, the parable starts with uh, Peter asking a question, okay he, he, He's going to bring up this question. it's a pretty good one. Peter, Peter came up to Jesus and he said, "Hey, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him?" As many as seven times? Wait a minute, we need some context, right? I, I don't want you to miss this. Why did Peter ask this, okay I, I, how many times should i forgive somebody that sinned against me seven times see jewish rabbis taught jews that they can forgive somebody for the same offense against them three times after the third time you don't have to forgive them this was the teaching of the rabbis how would that work out moms right you can forgive them three times the fourth it's on all right like kids like mom that was mom strike three you're dead tonight Okay, so, so Peter actually is thinking he's benevolent. If you're like seven times, Peter, come on, man. He's being benevolent. In fact, he picked God's number, seven, right? The full number, a rounded up number. Should I forgive him seven times? I think there's a, st- there's a part of Peter going, that's pretty, that's pretty righteous of me. You like that, Mark? Yeah, I like that. Hey, John, you like that seven times? A- and Jesus comes back with this. Now, I don't say to you seven times, but 77 times. One scholars have, have, have translated it 70 times seven. So, so, so is Matthew in the back going, okay, I have to forgive somebody 77 times or, or 490 times? Jesus is giving out a number kind of um, figuratively in a sense where he's saying, just keep it coming. Just keep it coming. Forgive every time. Chuck Swindoll summarized it. He said, every time an offense occurs, forgive. Every single time. This was Jesus' message. And you wanna hit time out and say, Jesus, I don't think you understand my life. Jesus, uh, time out, I think I wanna tell you what my parents did to me. Jesus, hold up, I think you need to hear about this business situation that happened in my life because you're telling me you want me to forgive an offense every time? I mean, I don't think you get my life. But, but before you do that, before you push back on Jesus, let me suggest to you, the one saying this has been beaten, betrayed, spit on, kicked, knifed, whipped to the point where his backbones were exposed, slammed on a cross, spikes driven through his feet, laughed and mocked the entire way. So, so this is the person who's saying that. So if you want to consider the source... Don't consider Pastor Chris. You go, Chris, you might not know my life and that would probably be accurate. I don't. But Jesus does. And he says, I want you to forgive. And, and remember, Jesus, when he tells us to forgive, he says, forgive as Christ Jesus forgave you. So this isn't cheap forgiveness. You know I mean, people say, oh, I forgave him. And you're full of it. You're totally full of it. You haven't forgiven him. You've killed him. Here's what I mean by that. You've said they're dead to me, Okay. You haven't dealt with it. In fact, if I walked up and said a certain name, you go, oh man. Or how about an organization? Oh yeah. You know, I got problems. You brought up Chick-fil-A. Dry, they, made my, they messed up my order. I'm still ticked off. If they were open today. I deal with it. I mean, you might have organizational anger. You might have a former teacher anger, a grandparent, a parent, whatever it is. In fact, I bet, child of God, the Lord's gonna bring somebody to your mind during this sermon. Don't sleep on that. Let the Holy Spirit work. If he brings someone to mind, let's do business because we are to forgive every single time, 70 times seven. Here's the way I've applied this. When somebody has hurt me and I offer them forgiveness, The 70 times 70 principle for me is every time I think about getting resentful again or I see them or the wound, uh, uh, sometimes those emotional wounds, they get ripped open like Band-Aids when you see somebody or they said something that reminded you of it. That's how I apply the 70 times seven. Every time, Lord, I've got to offer them forgiveness. Every time they come up, every time I see them until I get right. But it's not cheap forgiveness. It's expensive forgiveness. And I'm taking a chance here with y'all. We're under a tent or you're online. I'm taking a chance with all of you checking out for a second. But if I could, I want to give a little depth to this, not just a story. I want to give a little depth to this. A, a few years back, we did what we had called a forgiveness series, okay? And we dealt with the subject of forgiveness. And I want to not confuse what true forgiveness is and false forgiveness, okay? Okay. I want you to understand what true forgiveness is. So just stay with me for a second. I'm gonna revert back to that sermon series and remind you what true forgiveness is. True forgiveness is both willing and active, okay? It's willing in here and it's active in action. When I willingly release, I have forgiven someone when I have willingly released the refusal to associate with them, when I release the desire to punish them, Okay, when I release the passion to expose them. I put an asterisk there because there are certain circumstances where exposing has to be done for the safety of other people. That's another sermon. Fourth, when I, I have forgiven them when I've released the desire to long for them to fail in life. Okay? I, I have forgiven them when I willingly release the reluctance to pray for them. Okay? Now, now, It's not just willing, it's also active. I have truly forgiven someone when I actively choose to rebuild associations. When I choose to remove sinful attitudes about them. When I choose to refuse the passion to expose them by talking about them negatively all the time, right? When I refuse to rejoice, excuse me, when I actively choose to rejoice when they get some blessing. And when I actively choose to renew all my prayers towards that person. That's when true forgiveness starts going. And we base that all on a sermon series and I give you a summary. But we were very determined as a church to not be walking around offering fake forgiveness. But, but forgiveness is even more than that. Okay, let me tell you what forgiveness is and what forgiveness is not, all right? This is one of the things I summarize. What forgiveness is not? Forgiveness is not approval of the treatment. Hey, I forgive you, it's no big deal. Yeah, it was a big deal. People get really damaged. It was a very big deal. Okay? Forgiveness, what it is not, it's not a dismissal of the wrong. It's not what it is. It's not trust of the offender. Hey, you say you're sorry? Hey, no big deal. Hop in, let's do business together. No, in fact, we talked about, it's very important sometimes when your trust has been broken to apply the Heisman Principle. You know, forgiveness is not always restoration. Trust has to be rebuilt over a time period, okay? Here's what forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not being forgetful of the offense. Ah, you just gotta forget about it. You're not gonna forget about it. I had a brother come up to me after the service, of the first service, he goes, I'm still working through something that happened in business to me about 15 years ago. Forgiveness is not forgetting about it. Forgiveness is not suppressing the hurt with substances, or things that make the pain go away. That's not forgiveness. Oh, I know how to forgive them. No, that's not forgiveness. Forgiveness, what it is, what Jesus exemplified to us, is erasing all records of wrong, harboring no resentment, returning no evil, offering them grace, and trusting God's justice. Oh, I hate forgiveness messages because you don't understand, Chris, they don't deserve that. They don't deserve that. And Jesus continued the story and he said, therefore, therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. They don't deserve that. Yeah, there's this king, and he wished to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. 10,000 talents. One talent would be about 6,000 denarii. 16 years of wages. So for Jesus to chuck out 10,000, let me tell you what he's doing here. There was somebody that I came up to, Chris Heller, and they owed me $50 million. say, what? And I said, you gotta pay me back. That is about the idea here. It's in a debt that can't be paid. Jesus wanted you to understand there is a debt that can't be paid. So he continues. Jesus keeps saying, and since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold. What? With his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. You see, when there's a debt that can't be paid, more than one person pays. It starts, to, it starts to spread this problem. So, so you know what the servant did? He fell on his knees. He got on his knees and he implored him. He put, have patience with me. Have patience with me. I will pay you everything. I'll get the 50 million. I'll get the 500 million. I'll get it. I'll find a way. Have patience with me. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave the debt. but he, he, he owes a lot of money to you, master. He wronged you, he stole from you. You're just gonna forgive him? What are, what are you, what are you, what are you, stupid? What are you, some pushover? You're gonna let him get away with that? You're just gonna let him off the hook? You see your emotions with this story? He released them and forgave him the debt? Man, that guy's not only lucky, he's like crazy lucky that he ran across a master like that. But Jesus isn't done. He said, but when the servant went out, this servant went out, ha, ha, I'm free, I'm free. And, and he found one of his fellow servants. What do you do? Go hunt him down? And, and he owed him 100 denarii. Okay, okay. He just got forgiven $50 million. He can find, you know, he's he's out hunting 100 denarii. I I need a little money. Uh, I need 100 bucks, you know. He just got forgiven 50 million. He needs 100 bucks. And seizing him. Wait, what? Wait, what? He grabbed him? He grabbed him. He began to choke him. Jesus, why are you making this so violent? I mean, Jesus is telling the story. Jesus, why are you making this so violent? He choked him. Jesus, I want you, I want that visual. He's choking somebody after I've forgiven him millions of dollars. He's choking somebody over a hundred bucks. Jesus goes, engage with that emotion. Engage with what I'm looking at. And he seized him and he said, pay me what you owe. So his servant fell down. Do you remember this scene just a minute ago? And he pleaded with him. Jesus uses the same language as what he was doing. Have mercy with him. You would think that the servant had forgiven him so much. He goes, oh man, I was just there. I was just in your shoes. I know what it feels like. Have patience with me. I will pay you. And if I'm a disciple listening, I'm gonna go, oh, he's gonna now, he's gonna forgive him. And Jesus is gonna be like, look, he copied his dad. That's awesome. But no, no, actually Jesus says this. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. The idea here is how could one forgiven so much refuse forgiveness of so little? Then his master summoned him and he, and he said to him, You wicked servant! I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay the debt. There's something interesting here. I, wanna, I just wanna point out. Jailers can also be interpreted torturers. And that can stem from the idea of what's called inquisitors. One scholar put, the idea here is that they're being released to external pressures on their life that they might not have otherwise had because they chose unforgiveness. It's almost God saying, you wanna, you wanna harbor unforgiveness? Okay, well, then part of the discipline will be you having to deal with a lot of this behavior. I mean, it's the definition of choose to sin, choose to unforgive, choose to sin, choose to suffer. When we choose unforgiveness, we will suffer. And lives that live with resentment and bitterness, marriages that live with resentment and bitterness, childhood relationships, whether adult, children relationship with their parents that live with resentment and bitterness, you know what their lives are often filled with? The torturers, they look like this. Hardship, tension, anxiety, conflict, pressure, bitterness, isolation, that's the Thanksgiving table. That's the Christmas table. And and Jesus said, when you harbor these things, you're gonna have to deal with these kind of things. In fact, you kind of get dealt over to those. In fact, Jesus says, so also my heavenly father will do every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Here's the the summary, don't miss it, don't miss it. Forgiven people ought to forgive people. It just is folly not to. In fact, it seems that our lives will wreak tremendous ramifications when we choose unforgiveness, when we choose bitterness, when we choose resentment, regardless, and this is what hurts so bad, regardless of how painful it actually was, and it's painful, some of the most hurtful things that have ever been said to me have been said to me inside the walls of a church. Some of the most cruel things that I've ever been called started with Pastor Chris, comma. I mean, the reality is we've been hurt. We've all been hurt. But Jesus is telling us and reminding us, remember this child of God. I have forgiven you so much. Forgive them. Don't pay the consequences of choosing a life of bitterness and resentment. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. So I stepped back and I said, how can I, marry, how can I mirror this in my life? How can I be a peacemaker? How can I be someone that doesn't become a troublemaker or, or just fill my life with resentment and anger and bitterness? How can I walk towards peace? How can I grow from this? And our mere principle has reminded us if anybody looks at himself and then goes away and forgets what he was like, they're, they're a hearer, but they're not a doer. And the parables were given to us to do, to live this out. Forgiven people should forgive people. So who are they? Where is it? What happened? What does the Holy Spirit bring in your mind right now? How can you begin to make peace internally and externally? Well, my true north, new priority, if I'm gonna try to apply peacemaking, I put this. When I get around conflict, am I gonna be a person who rocks the boat or calms the storm? I like this quote, don't let them drag you into their storm, pull them into your peace. I like that. Am I going to be someone who rocks the boat and stirs up more conflict in my life, or am I going to be somebody who calms the storm? Well, as a pastor, I want to be someone who calms the storm. I mean, I want to be someone who, when someone's upset or angry or their family's in 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 a difficult spot, as pastors one of our ministries, we, we, we have a counseling ministry in different aspects to our ministries because we want to help be peacemakers. But what if this is something you make as a priority as well? Well, what do peacemakers look like? I wanna be like my dad. I wanna be like my heavenly father. What do peacemakers look like? Well, one, peacemakers take the initiative, okay? It, it's Proverbs twelve twenty. Those who promote peace have joy. A peacemaker doesn't sit back, they take the initiative. I remember getting in an adult argument, while I was an adult, you know, you're trying to spread your wings as a married young guy and your dad disagrees with the decision you made. And I remember us getting a little bit of an argument. And it was a couple weeks later, I opened up a card in the mail to my address and it's my dad's handwriting. I'm thinking, why on earth would he send me a letter? And I open up the letter and I open it up and say, hey bud, I know we got upset, tensions were high, we both cared a lot about that. But just so you know, I'm never gonna let something like that get in the way of my relationship with my son. I love you, dad. Kinda hard to say angry after that. Kinda hard to say upset after that. But you know what I learned from my father? Guess what, I was the one who really had the attitude problem in that story. I was the one who was being a little disrespectful in my response. And my dad took the initiative and he showed me. Peacemakers humble themselves, and Chris, you didn't deserve that letter. In fact, you deserved me to ignore you for a month, okay? But he sent that and he took the initiative. That's what peacemakers do. They send out an olive branch. Peacemakers, they address the tension. They don't ignore it. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. Peacemakers don't go, everybody just don't talk about it. They go, when can we talk about it? We need to address this tension. Around the Thanksgiving table, hey, what's your problem? Not the best move, okay? Peacemakers understand addressing the tension should be done in private areas to restore the situation. When things are done in public, people get hurt deeply by that, especially confronted in public. I'll tell you what, you wanna anger a teenager? One, complain about them while they're listening to you, okay? All right? How to lose a teenager. I should do a series. Complain about them out loud while they're standing next to you, okay? The second one, okay? Complain about them in front of their brothers and sisters. Because now you've set up sibling rivalry, okay? If we're going to make peacemaking, we address the tension in private. Hey, man, let's go get a burger, is a good time to be a peacemaker, okay? Extend mercy. Peacemakers who sow peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Peacemakers love to extend mercy to people. Extend mercy, okay? no peace, they're known by peace, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace. A peacemaker has internal peace with God. They're not struggling with anxieties and pressures and stress. They understand peace because they know their father and they know he offers peace and they accept his peace. And so they're kind of known as being peaceful people. You know people like this. Somebody might have just come to your mind. Yeah, they live with a tremendous amount of peace, okay? Um, And then finally, they offer forgiveness, as far as it is by you. See, here's the thing, forgiveness is a two-way street. It's very hard to offer somebody forgiveness who does not want to forgive you. In fact, it's one of the most difficult things. But as far as it is by me, I'm gonna offer them the forgiveness that God has given me. You see, what's beautiful about the peacemaking list is that's the gospel. That's the gospel. Jesus took the initiative. While we were yet sinners, he died for us. I didn't get clean, and then he died for me. He died for me while I was a cruddy mess. He he addressed the tension. There is enmity between me and God. I was an enemy of God, and he addressed that tension. He said, it's not okay. It's not okay. I want to come and be a mediator and get that together. He extended me mercy in forgiving me of my sins. He is the definition of peace, and I long to go to him to receive it, and he offers me forgiveness. In fact, he says, if you confess your sin, I'm faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. I look at this list, and I see the gospel. To be a peacemaker, you must know the peace giver. And when you know the peace giver, you can have peace within your own hearts. Let me conclude by just sharing something I put in my journal for my own spiritual edification, my own spiritual growth. Take it if you will, throw it out if you don't. I was looking at that list of the torturers that I kind of developed from just reading a, a, a few different commentaries, and I thought, man, I've been dealing with some of this in my own life. There's hardship going on right now. There's tension. Um, within church family at times and, and a, even beyond. There's anxiety about what's going on all around us. There's conflict uh, on social media and different things. There's pressure um, on decision-making. A lot of our decision-making just really, really um, questioned at times and, and, and things for all administrators and leaders at this time. There's a, there's, there's a bitterness that's growing from all the hurt that is occurring that, that people are missing out on things. I'm hearing parents struggling with some bitterness and things like this. And, and obviously there's isolation. And so I was looking at that and go, how can I address these in my life? And so what I did is I put in my journal things I'm going to say in my head so I stay a peacemaker when those torturers come after me, all right? And and, and so this is, do you believe in (laughs) self-talk? Okay, I I self-talk a lot, all right? Um, It's scary up here. You don't want to do it. uh, But but, um, I have to talk to Chris sometimes, okay? And, And so here's some of the things I've put next to those things. Okay, seven winds that are gonna rock the boat of internal peace that's gonna prevent me from being a peacemaker, hardship. Fear robs peace, I know that. So I say to myself, Chris, you can pray or you can panic. You got a choice here. You can pray or you can panic, all right? Tension, division robs peace. When there's division in a family, in a church or whatever, it just robs you of that internal peace. You can accept it or you can address it. It ain't going away. So you can accept it and just live in this tension or you can address it somehow in the most loving way you can. Um, three, anxiety. Worry, worry robs peace, we all know this, right? Especially at night, right? You can worry or you can worship. You, you do have a choice there, you can worry or you can worship. So I say to myself, Chris, you can worry or you can worship. Turn on a worship song, okay? Get, just get, get, think about, so go outside. Sometimes I go outside, you can worry about what's gonna happen or how that person's gonna respond or others, or you can worship. Um, conflict, hypocrisy robs peace, okay? When you're lying, when you're harboring secrets, you don't have internal peace. Ask David. He wrote a lot of Psalms on the fact that he was hiding sin and it was robbing him of his peace, okay? Um, so you can confess it or you can get caught. Your call, <laughs> okay? Uh, um, so let's be quick to confess our sins so we don't have to be disciplined for it, right? Five, pressure. Stress robs peace, okay? And there's a lot of stress right now. Um, One of the things I say to myself is you can impress or you can invest. This is one of the things I try to teach our young interns when they get chances to speak. The number one thing that robs you as a communicator, okay, teachers, leaders, anybody, listen to me here on this. The number one thing that will rob you of your peace on a stage is trying to impress the crowd, okay? If you're here to impress the crowd, you will have tremendous anxiousness. So let me encourage you, invest into the crowd. Try to give them everything you know about the text. Give it to them and you become a giver that's investing versus trying to impress and if you impress a few people, great, but that's not your goal. Um, bitterness, bitterness will rob you of your peace. You can get bitter or you can get better, all right? The way to get better is choosing forgiveness and then isolation, selfishness will rob peace. Isolating from people and saying, I don't care about people, I don't care what's going on, that will rob you of your peace. And, and so I say, you can be humble or you can get humbled, your decision, <laughs> one's gonna happen. And so these are some of the things I saved my hel- little, little quirky sayings that help me go keep the peace internally, Chris, so you can offer peace to others. I don't know where you're at today. I don't know what your struggle is or or what tension or conflict you might be wrestling with. But I do know this. If you walk out of here desiring to be a peacemaker, you're being just like your heavenly father. And there's nothing cooler than a believer when someone says, hey, You're just like your dad. I said in the first service, I'm not sure if I said it here, but my respect level for people who are peacemakers has gone through the roof in a season like this. And it's an aspect in my life that I want God to refine me so that I can bring peace into people's lives the best I can. And so I gotta make sure it's internal as well. And it's what I choose. For so many times we choose to dwell on the things that honor of God. So let me leave you with a quote that I think summarizes it all up. You can do this. I think one more slide, right? You can pray or you can panic. You can worry or you can worship. You can accept it or you can address it. You can get bitter or you can get better. For the child of God, peace is a choice. I encourage you to go out there and this week you may have a chance to To stir up more conflict or to make peace, God might lay it right in your lap to give you an opportunity. And I encourage you to be a peacemaker. Heavenly Father, thank you for today and a chance to just look into your word and to see one of the number one characteristics of our heavenly Father. He makes peace. And he did it by sending his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And so if there's anyone out there today who has not made peace with their Heavenly Father, I pray that their peacemaking journey begins right there at the moment of salvation, and they call on the name of the Lord to be saved. I also pray if there's anyone in here who's struggling with internal conflict or external conflict, that today might be the day they want to desire to move towards peace, maybe even practice the 70 times seven principle. Lord, may we be known as people who are willing so much to be like their Heavenly Father, They walk into the very difficult and at times discouraging, but wonderful priority of peacemaking. And this we pray in Jesus' name, amen.